Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Greenwashed with me, Jaspreet and Jill Booth. And today, following on from last week, Jill, we are going to launch into SDG Sustainable Development Goal number two. We are. This one is um, Zero Hunger. We have to get a bit of music for an intro. Got the right song for you, Jasper. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do. But talking of, you know, food and food prices and just the general pain at the till is something most New Zealanders are facing today. And I came across this article from Newsroom, Sustainable Future Bulletin, that says food security is at the heart of our cost of living crisis. And they simply go on to, you know, just literally say that what if our empty supermarket shelves and high prices are symptomatic of something much bigger, a sign of a broken system, fissures of climate disruption, ecological collapse, energy descent, and increased resource scarcity. So it is simply everything is being linked back to climate change. But more than that, they say we need policy in this article that will strengthen New Zealand's own food security, resilience, and encourage bioregionalism. What do you think of that? Well, I think lots of things about it. Um, <laughs> trying to, you know, trying to get this in order is the fact that you know they everything is, you know, they come up. They're the bullet and the bandage when it comes to the United Nations. They they are the bullet and the bandage, and a lot of the things that we have to do as a country that are brought in by the by the UN and the, and the W. EF is not good for any of us and it starts these types of things where you know you have a cost of living crisis we should be having cheap oil in New Zealand because we've got fabulous oil but our cost of living has constantly been driven up and um and and so are our food prices it's it's pretty horrific but we need to back step a little bit um so the sustainable development goal too is about is about creating a world free of hunger by 2030, you know, and and this is also no more malnutrition. So again, it's a, it's a, it's a lofty goal. You can't really poo-hoo it because that makes you sound really mean. Um, but really, it's it's a hundred percent control. So and then you throw in a new world with this bio re- a new word with this bioregionalism. Yes, yeah, so I. Yeah. I had to Google it, and it first came up on the World Economic Forum website, and that website says, learn more. And then it opened on up to this page called bioregional.com. Yeah. Yep. Um, I see it's got bioregions 2021 Earth. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. So probably when you're looking at, and because we are new to this, so I'm just going to take a little bit of a guess um, at what bioregionalism is, is defining your areas and, and then using those to their best um, to their best use to grow what is close to you. Isn't that so, what we yeah. already do? Well, I I thought we did. We, we as we were going through things before, we were talking about food and we were going through all these pictures of all these PhD people, and, and food is now about growing 
food in a lab with a microscope and a white lab coat, but I can tell you I don't look like that when I'm out there with the cabbages. <laughs> so. No, no. so you guys, you grow some of the best uh, fruit, stone fruit in central Otago. We grow great milk and beef yeah. in Southland. We seem to be growing a lot more pine trees, but we'll, we'll leave that for another time. But this bioregional initiative, it's got this very particular icon, this set of, how many is this? Ten symbols between clouds and trees and bikes and apples and pears. But it says one planet living. Bioregional envisions a world where we can live happily within the Earth's resources and a straightforward framework to achieve this. So the moment I saw this logo, which looks a bit like the, you know, the UN, this thing, but it's got yep. lesser uh, goals, just about 10 instead of 17. Uh, what clicked in my brain is where else have I seen the same logo? And I have seen this very same logo on futurefarmersnz.org. Yep. There it is. <laughs> there it is. And what is Future Farmers? It says we are united, United Nations, united youth reimagining society to heal our world with food and fiber. All this times just send us a food and fiber network, our food and fiber leaders. This is a some of this terminology has only come into our lexicon over the last few years. But future farmers, they very conveniently, the website says, download our manifesto. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And and what are we healing? You know, this constant, constant message to our young people that we need to heal everything and we need to fix everything and we need to save everything is... Um, is really misleading. Our, you know, for all the terrible things that we do to our earth, for the large part, it's in pretty good shape. Mm -hmm. So they say in their manifesto, Future Farmers NZ, which I'm sure most of the dairy farmers, horticulturalists, orchardists, and uh, dry store guys won't even know that there's this website, futurefarmersnz.org. Among their key recommendations in their manifesto is a national plan on diversity. Guess what? It's happening. Effective protection given to 30% of New Zealand ecosystem to align with the conservation requirements of United Nations SDG. Mm -hmm. yeah. Create a regulatory requirement for all farms over 20 hectares to have a farm environment plan. It's already been ticked off. Spatial mapping and digitization of land use and create structures, support structures for farmers to diversify and transition to farming systems that move with consumer preference. So who are these people? How come we've, how many do-good organizations do we need in this country, for one? Well, I would say we'd need at least 100 for each United Nations goal because it seems for each goal that we've got a lot of these organizations in and a lot of them are NGOs too. But what, what cracks me up with reading, reading this is that um, – I, I'd like to know who we is for a start, but it says we must inspire a new narrative where farmers are not just business owners, but custodi custodians of our whenua. Well, most of our farmers have been custodians for um, a very long time. This is not a new narrative. No, it makes it sound like our farmers have been. Yeah, so it makes them sound like they've been tramping around the land, destroying it, which is, of course, 
ridiculous because they need to, you know, they need to nurture the land to nurture their animals. Uh-huh. So they talk of food transition system. So if you Google food transition NZ, you come up with this website called foodtransitions2050.ac.nz. And this website opens up with this dystopian picture of a robo harvesting a tomato. Yeah. God. Yeah. It's um and it, you know, it seems like we can't garden anymore without, you know, without without lab coats and this and the scientists. And quite frankly, I'd like to keep the scientists out of my garden. Um mm. our food insecurity in New Zealand does come back to to poverty. Um and sometimes just lack of knowledge. We don't there are places where it's not the easiest to to actually start a garden, grow a garden. Um yeah, it's so but it, it does come back to it does come back to money. But our food in our supermarkets is getting is now getting so expensive. And I feel very blessed that I live where I do. Um, we have lovely food here. So looking at the cohorts that have passed out of this institute, Food Transitions 2050.80.nz, I'm looking at the 2021 lot. So just looking at some names, Kathleen Hyde. Exploration of the socio-cultural dimensions and public perceptions of alternative proteins in Aotearoa, New Zealand. What does that so mean? So what does that mean? <laughs> but I, I just Googled her. So she is now a tutor at Lincoln as well as on the Future Farmers NZ uh, website. She's a, some sort of role there on their board. There is lots of other gentlemen that Bailey Perryman, repairing metabolic rifts for societal transformation and decentralized community composting in Aotearoa, New Zealand. What does, what is, I thought I understood English, Jill, even though it's my third language. I thought I understood English. But most of what these people are doing makes no sense. Sophie O'Brien, designing landscapes for climate change and resilient food productions a socio-ecological systems approach. Good Lord. See, I, I don't know. I've, I've been out of school for too long, Jasper. I, I don't understand, um, you know, I don't understand what they're trying to do. I so, don't know what the transitions are. Um, I, you know, Sophie, I, I, don't so know Brian. I don't know why we... Mm. So Sophie Bryan, she's on the Motu Economic and Public Policy Research. So it seems like the the cohort, the students that pass out from this program go on to roles which are very influential. Yes. Yes, but for whom? Exactly. And who elected them? Who selected them to put them in these positions of power after going to what I can only term as... I don't even have words for what these courses are supposed to do. There's such a word salad. But when you think, you know, they're really building, what's being done here is that they're building, um, they're using all the all the best and the brightest from around the world to put into these courses and to, and to learn, you know, and so they're building their own network of people to, to bring all of this about. So and yeah, between bioregional, being pushed by the World Economic Forum, which is 
what Future Farmers is uh, pushing, as well as the United Nations SDGs that it says 30% area under conservation state and all. And talking about pine trees and forestry, we are essentially doing the exact opposite of what this SDG was supposed to do. End hunger. Yeah. Yeah. We have spent 50 plus million dollars, this government has, on region ag exploratory studies. And I can't help but think, is this the key way of bringing about the chaos that came and happened in Sri Lanka when they phased out fertilizer? I don't know quite how this is all going to work with um, phasing out fertilizer. I do know that the food security people want to phase out um, glyphosate, mm. which is going to make it very hard to do a lot of regenerative farming because that needs to be, um, you yep. know, the grass needs to be killed first unless they're direct drilling. But I'm not quite sure how they're going to work it with our, with what they're going to do with our fertilizer. But because we live in a relatively, um, well, we live in a first world country. So for me, food security, my first thing with food security is like an event with Hawke's Bay. How easy was it to get food to all of those people that suddenly didn't have power? Um, They had nowhere to store it. You know, to me, that that is the, the seriousness of food resilience. So we have a food resilience program in Wanaka. Um, for us here, our food resilience will probably be more earthquake um, tied up. You know, if we have a big earthquake in this region, rips through the Southern Alps, how are all these people going to be fed and, and dealt with? Um, and yeah, that, food- I, that I notice that councils are now venturing into this domain of food resilience, instead of, you know, doing your roading infrastructure, your hard, uh, literally concrete jobs, physically speaking, we are now doing these soft, soft jobs or soft skills and so on. And we have all the bigger councils, Christchurch, Hamilton, Auckland, Tunedin, all of them speaking about food resilience and communities resilience. So I don't know how many people if the if you ask them that do you want a council looking after you know food and well-being and so on would not retort back that if you can't manage my roads leave alone my well-being i mean were <laughs> councils supposed to be doing this job I well see no creep yeah. coming jill well the councils slipped into that job in 2020 when they went out of infrastructure and went into the well-being project and now they've been pulled into by public health services because a lot of your public health services want your councils to make sure that, um, you know, there's involvement within community gardens. Um, that Even though it sounds really nice, I don't quite like the idea of it. Um, you know, town centres that have got edible fruit, um, you know, edible edible areas, actually, that, you know, they're looking at councils to, to plant out. But I don't think that's a good idea for a couple of reasons. Food always attracts vermin. It attracts wasps. And if you're growing fruit, especially in fruit trees, if you're growing fruit in a public space for people to eat, they need to be looked after, otherwise they just start spreading disease. And it's like professional beekeepers. They really hate hobby beekeepers because that's when things go wrong at the hobby end. And if you talk to an orchardist, um, they're not so keen on a whole lot of unattended trees around because they tend to spread disease. So this mm. is coming into, you know, we've been pulled into a whole picture here of not just your council, 
it's yeah, it's your um the whole system, your public health system as well. And ultimately the proof of this lies in the pudding. And in this case, the MST June snapshot, June 2023. Over the last six years, the two key types of hardship assistances that are being provided to people are emergency grants for housing and emergency grants for food. Food. Now, looking at food especially, the number of food parcels, because there's both a number and the quantity. Well, let's look at the value of these. They were in June 2018. The value of these was somewhere around 18 to 20 million six years ago. In the quarter that just ended in June 23, the value of the food grants being given out is 33 million. We have nearly double the amount here. Even if you uh, leave out the spike in COVID when it reached you know nearly 80 million, we've come down to 33 million, but we've more than doubled. So we are not in any way ending hunger. We are fueling it, very deliberately fueling it. And this is where Jill and I have often spoken. Uh, what what were the terms you just used, Jill? That the United Nations policy are both the bullet and the bandage. The bullet and the bandage, yeah the mm. bullet and the band-aid and, and it is it's to grow dependency so your councils have something a lot of them have something called a Kai collective and I would never bag anybody that works at, at bringing food to people who really need it but have a very close look at who's running it and who's at the, who's at the top of it mm. absolutely and before we wind up there's a couple of websites I'd like you to have a very close look at futurefarbersnz.org and your food 2050, food transitions 2050.ac.nz. Much of what is coming for our future, unless you put a stop to it, these two websites, food transitions.2050.ac.nz and future farmers nz, they will dictate to us unless we turn this around. With that, thank you so much for joining Jill and me today. Any feedback at 2057 or email us at inbox at the rate realitycheck.radio. Thank you so much, Joe. Good night. Bye. Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio.